Vodka. 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 Hey everyone, you are listening to Amber Love. This is Vodka O'Clock Podcast from AmberOnMath.com. And don't forget that you can sponsor the show on the website at Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash amberonmask and you can sponsor us for as little as a dollar a week. And uh, joining me today is Dave O'Hare, who is one of the organizers of the Garden State Comic Fest. And um, this will be my first year going to this particular Comic-Con. So I was really excited that I have the opportunity to talk to Dave and find out all of the details. So um, we're going to make sure that this isn't like just dry and boring in an hour-long commercial because it's we have a lot of things to talk about and a lot of things to consider about why conventions sometimes move and why they might change days and things like that. So, um, so Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, Amber. How are you? It's great to be here. Thanks. Um, yeah, well, I'm doing well. I'm finally enjoying some nice weather, as we were saying. Oh, it's gorgeous out today. So, uh, yeah, so you are also, you're like not terribly far from me, so we are luckily experiencing the same pleasant weather Lack of humidity for a change. Yes. Um, and you are going to be running a mid-sized, smallish kind of comic show in uh, the Marstown area. So I wanted to ask you all these details about, um, you know, what your experience with the show has been so far and why you had to move the show and things like that. So um, how many years have you been doing the Comic Fest? Well, Garden State Comic Fest started, uh, this will be our third show. It's uh, about two and a half years old right now. And uh, we're really excited. We're really pumped. It's coming up quick. Uh, our heads are a little crazy right now, but we're getting everything done. So uh, everybody has a great time. And the dates are the um, July 25th and 26th, right? Correct. So you extended the show an additional day. Now, why did you think that you were in a position to add another day? Well, actually, we, we are a little uh, scared of this. Uh, whenever a show tries to grow too big too quick, it can uh, end up hurting the show. But uh, we went to a two-day show this year for a couple reasons. One, uh, it allows people that can't make it one day to show up another, uh, which the fans really love, uh, you know, in, in some religious cases, even, uh, you know, some fans can't come out on a Saturday, but they can attend on a Sunday. And we wanted to make sure it was open for everybody. Uh, two, the venue that we are at, the Menon Arena in Morristown, basically gave us the second day almost for nothing. So it was only, uh, you know, very little more to add that second day. And all of our rental stuff, the tables, the pipe and drape, the equipment, it was all going in on Friday and it was all getting picked up on Monday. So we figured we'd let the vendors have a second shot at selling over the weekend. So, uh, you know, we're, we're excited and, uh, you know, scared at the same time. Well, that's understandable because, I mean, I, it'd be nerve-wracking, you know, just putting on the show as you had been anyway. So big changes are, you know, I, I, I can imagine. I just can only imagine. 
Um, so you mentioned that it's going to be at the Menon Arena this year, which is up in the, the Marstown, Mars Plains area, the Mendham area. And previously you had the show in a couple different hotels. And I had heard from actually a friend of mine, Erica Schultz, who's one of your featured guests this year. Um, she had a great time last year. So um, I was wondering, you know, why the change specifically? Because I've been to the, the Hyatt in Morristown. They have the gaming conventions there. And it's a really beautiful hotel. I mean, it's absolutely a lovely hotel. And oh. they have, uh, you know, great amenities and stuff. So you changed to the arena, and I'm curious as to, you know, what the arena is going to do for you. Well, uh, actually, the Hyatt Hotel is absolutely gorgeous. It, it's a beautiful hotel, and it's centrally located in the heart of Morristown, which we absolutely loved. And Erica, she has been great, actually. Uh, she's been at both our previous shows. Uh, the first show was actually kind of funny. She was set up in a bar because we had to run two rooms. And the second show... Again, we had to run three rooms. So the move to the arena was pretty much so we could get everybody in one room, one huge uh, area. So nobody felt slighted or nobody felt that, oh, not as many people saw us in this room or you had to sit there and direct people towards it. And when you get in hotels, it's very hard to find a hotel that is big enough to fit what you need. And this year, we have grown to triple the size of our last show. So it's uh, it was very important for us to be able to have that singular area to be able to hold everything. I know what you mean, because, um, when, you know, you obviously want a show to grow and, you know, bring in more consumers and bring in more, you know, the possibility of more guests than if you're, you know, able to sell more tickets. Because um, a few times I've been to Monster Mania down in Cherry Hill, and they outgrew that hotel many, many, many years ago, and they keep having it there. It's impossible to park. You end up parking a mile or two, and you have to walk, you know, and I mean, they're literally not even parking spaces. You're just parking in front of somebody's house. And then you get there, and you're tired, and you're sweaty. And then um, inside, like you're saying, there are different rooms and hallways to navigate. And my friends were set up in one really big, beautiful ballroom, but then it had to double as the ballroom for their really elite VIP guests. So they actually had to leave their table and close up their table in order to do like these special VIP signing things. And it was really weird. Like they, you know, that was actually like part of the deal of them being there was that they would have to sacrifice some of their time and vacate the room. <laughs> so it was just, it's, you know, a venue is really, really important, but at the same time you want character and you want charm, you know, but you also want to be able to park. Yeah. And uh, what you're saying is all too true, and you see it in a lot of shows, uh, especially in hotels where uh, shows are held. Uh, we have one up in this area, Chiller Fest, and it's the same thing. It's it's a lot of rooms. It's it's a beautiful hotel that they hosted in, but to be able to maneuver and see everything, you end up missing uh, some of the show. 
just by the crowds in your way. And uh, the other great part about Menon was 2003 parking spaces, where in the middle of Morristown, you're not getting, you know, five parking spaces, let alone a 2,000 of them. Um, where also we looked at it as we are surrounded by the train stations, uh, the public transportation, the bus comes in. So people from New York, people from all over have a very easy shot straight to Menon. And uh, that was very important to us as well. Right. There's definitely a lot in that area. Um, if anybody has seen my coverage for Dexcon, which I'm, I said was at the Hyatt, um, I, I really went into detail about the actual area and things that you can find as far as being able to eat whatever you want. I mean, there's, um, there's definitely restaurants for every single possible diet. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's every kind of, you know, you're talking about a two-day show, so there's every kind of religious venue also, so whatever church or temple or synagogue or whatever you need that's also going to be really, really close by. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I love just the charm of the area so much. But, yeah, I mean, if you leave the show, you're probably just going to have to hop in your car for literally less than two miles. Yes. Uh, that, that's the great part about Morristown and Morris County. I, I'm actually surprised nobody's tried to host the show here yet. Um, it is a beautiful part of New Jersey. Uh, I, I can't stress that enough. Downtown Morristown uh, actually has quite a Chelsea feel from New York City uh, with the restaurants, the shops. It, it's such a beautiful area. And when you get out to where Menon Arena is, it's a very park-like setting. So there's trees. It, it's just a gorgeous area to host a show. And uh, people from New York and other states, they're going to be very surprised of, you know, areas of New Jersey that New Jersey has this to offer. Right, because, you know, we've heard every single joke there is, and we know that everybody only thinks of the Sopranos and Newark Airport. Yes, <laughs> we we are the Garden State Parkway, Jersey yeah. City, Sopranos, uh, Jersey Shore state, and it couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, it's really unfortunate that television has not helped our tourism at all. <laughs> well, it also helped, it doesn't help that, uh, I will take this shot against New Jersey, New Jersey doesn't help its tourism at all either. I mean, New Jersey is full of history when you go back to uh, Morristown. Uh, George Washington's headquarters during the Revolutionary War is in Morristown, yet nobody knows it. <laughs> Right, and that's once you get there, though, then you start seeing the statues and the plaques and uh, all the, the kitschy names. Like, there's a, a ton of taverns, like I was saying. So some of the taverns are named after um, historical people, you know, like the Georgian Martha. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and the buildings are beautiful, but there is there is a ton of um, just cool things. Cool thing. And it's just kind of still like a small town feel, like you said, Chelsea. It's a very, very cool little uh, charming area. It is. It really is. And uh, Morristown, it, how can I, it, going into the history of that area, the, the 
Battle of Springfield, for instance, which is like two towns over, that was the turning point in the Revolutionary War. But I don't know. I think New Jersey likes to keep this a secret and keep it for us. And uh, this is why nobody really knows what, you know, real New Jersey is like. That's true. That's just because um, we don't want to have ghost tours in every single town like Gettysburg. (laughs) That is a very good point. But that'd be pretty cool. I should start that business. I like. I mean, New Hope does it. New Hope has a great ghost tour. So, um, but they only do it around Halloween. Yes, they do. Yeah. Uh, well, New Hope uh, doesn't New Hope fall into Pennsylvania, right? Yeah, yeah. It's right yeah. over the other side of the Delaware from Lambertville. So, we'll talk <laughs> about two other very charming towns that, um, if you think we um, are only look like Newark Airport, um, you're terribly wrong. Go see Lambertville too. Well, you come out by me, all you see is uh, Jersey corn and Jersey tomatoes. uh, I am very looking forward to uh, when the tomatoes are in season. It makes all the difference. Yes, it does. It's one of those uh, few things that Jersey has that nobody else has, Uh, that and Taylorham. Oh, yeah. People aren't quite sure what that is when we No, I don't think anybody's quite sure what that is, but it's really good. Yeah, exactly. Pork roll, you know, the pork roll. Right. And you can smell it in every, everywhere you go, in every every bagel diner shop type place. Yep, every diner, every 20 minutes, 10 minutes down the road. That's all, that's all you smell up here. <laughs> but it's so, uh, it, yeah, it, so it really I'm, great. I'm really excited, though, that that's something like comics and, you know, bringing the the nature of the art community together is, is something that you're doing up here in, in North Jersey. Um, Jersey has a lot of comic shows now when literally three years ago it had nothing. Yes. So um, do, do you feel that there's any, like, too much competition or that there's a worries about um, just someone like Wizard World coming and just, you know, gobbling up the business? Well, I, I don't really worry about it too much, only because, uh, first off, New Jersey is one of the most populated states. And when you really think about it, we are also one of the richest states. So there, there is more than enough here to uh, host two or three uh, good-sized comic shows over the course of the year. Um, the other guys that run the shows, they're great. All the promoters here in the state are wonderful. Uh, they're wonderful people, and they do run wonderful shows. Um, but every show seems to have a little bit of a different feel in New Jersey. Uh, some, you know, you, you get more of this celebrity-oriented. Uh, Garden State Comic Fest, for instance, we are all about the comic books and the creators that create uh, the artists, the writers, uh, our artist alley, which, uh, we've assembled for our show is probably one of the best on the East coast, which we are quite proud of. Well, and you also have the good fortune of being literally minutes away from the Cuber school. Yes, that actually helps a lot. And you would also be surprised to find out how many of these wonderfully talented artists actually live in this area, considering we are only 30 minutes outside of New York City. Um, 
And every show that we've done, every artist that has attended has told their friends and their friends. So we just keep growing because everybody's had such a great time. So this year alone, I mean, uh, we were able to bring in Greg Hildebrandt, which last year, uh, since 2004, he hasn't been to a comic show. But he heard great things about us, so he's coming. Uh, we've been working with the Kubert School for a long time, and this year we were lucky enough that Adam Kubert would like to come out, and he is another one that you just do not see at shows. So uh, that, along with Walter Simonson, Ethan Van Skyver, uh, Neil Adams, we just have such a host of uh, artists and creators. Uh, Amy Chu, I had just spoken to her earlier today. She is coming out, uh, and congratulations to her for just getting the first series of Poison Ivy all by herself in a comic. I'm really looking forward to seeing how she does on that. Uh, I'm excited about that. Yes, that that should be really interesting, and uh, she's very excited about it. We were discussing it earlier today. And um, you have, uh, like you said, uh, Adam Kubert is going to be able to stop by, but only very briefly. But then there are some other, like, Kubert grads, like Charles Wilson, I'm pretty sure is a grad from there. Um, Bridget Allenson, who I adore. I love modeling for her. She's wonderful. Oh, when it comes to Kubert grads, uh, well, uh, honestly, the Kubert School is like the Harvard of cartoon art in this country. Uh, the grads that we have coming to our show, there's probably too many to name off the top of my head, but I can give it a shot at Bridget Allison, Jessica Lynn, Charles Paul Wilson III, Tom Rainey, Adam Kubert. Uh, who else went there? Uh, it's just so many. It, it's yeah. so hard to keep them all straight. Yeah, you definitely you have some of the teachers too, because didn't you say Fernando Ruiz was coming? Fernando he... Ruiz, uh, Kim DeMolder, Darren Auk. Uh, th- these are the instructors over there, which th- these guys are, you know, great in the industries of comics. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, like Kim DeMolder is one of those people that he's going to be really honest, but he's so easy to talk to. So if you're an aspiring artist and you have questions, you know, you can, there are so many people that would be more than happy to just like answer your questions. And, you know, like I wouldn't go ask Neil Adams unless you were prepared. That's the one thing because he he is known for telling people uh, like very harsh truth instead of, you know, wording things kindly and encouraging them to continue. So, um, yes, Let's see some of the Kubert instructors instead. Uh, well, actually, the Kubert School will be setting up a booth, and they will be doing portfolio reviews for aspiring oh. artists. During there the you go. Absolutely. Take advantage of that opportunity, because let me tell you something, artists. Writers never get this chance. <laughs> that That is all too true. And Neil Adams, yes, if you want... Brutal truth, that's where you go. 
Uh, I've heard some of them even compare him almost to the Simon Cowell of the comic industry when it comes to opinions. But yeah, that's exactly it. That's what I've heard. He'll tell that's, you. He'll tell you. He will tell you. And the thing is, if you can survive that and rebound and get better and, you know, become successful, then you can handle any person on the Internet. Oh, and you're you're all the more better, too. I mean, Neil, Neil Adams is a legend when it comes to this kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, you, you just got to have, uh, you know, a little thick skin to uh, be able to get that. But, uh, you know, sometimes that's what you need. And you also have, um, besides the, the comic book creators, which we know is the central core foundation of the show, yeah. um, there going to be cosplay activities and some cosplay guests, um, some stuff for kids. Oh, so, we have you know. so much going on here. <laughs> uh, with the cosplay community, uh, personally, I have never cosplayed, but I absolutely love cosplay. I mean, to find a fan that loves a character so much that they're willing to make that character's costume by hand and pay homage to this character uh, at one of these shows is just amazing. I mean, it's an art form in itself. And we have some wonderful guests making a first-time appearance in this area with uh, Makomi Chan coming up from Virginia, Belle Cherie coming down from Boston, and, of course, we have, uh, you know, some of the great ones in this area as well, including uh, Ruby Renexo, his wife Jennifer, uh, Bria Bia, Louis Suicide, Adana Velez. So these are wonderful cosplayers, and they are very open, and they're willing to help anybody, give them advice towards costumes. They're willing to take pictures with anyone. They are just wonderful and lovely people. And when it comes to the kids, oh, we have kids' drawing classes going on by featured artists. We have a lightsaber uh, training course for kids. We have the kids' cosplay. We have the adults' cosplay. There's just so much going on, and uh, we're really excited about this coming up. And so if you're listening and you want to perhaps, like, steer your costuming in a certain direction, um, yeah, there absolutely will be the 501st and the Mercs and the Jedis. So uh, it's going to be a definitely a big Star Wars population if you want to really feel part of it. But I see that you also have a Jurassic Park Jeep, which, yeah. you know, is a little bit, you know, harder to cosplay because it's just sort of like street clothes. So, <laughs> uh, you know, but people, I saw some San Diego pictures and people have been really super creative with like gluing, you know, plastic velociraptors to their heads and stuff. Yes. Uh, Jurassic Park is very big, right? So we, we were actually very lucky to have the owner of one of those Jeeps from the original movies, which I just saw Jurassic World last week. Turns out the original Jeeps were back in the uh, this movie as well. So uh, it's going to be very interesting to see that car there. Uh, we also have Knight Rider coming out, uh, Kit, from the old TV show. And uh, we're really excited about that as well. Right, so if you can cosplay as <laughs> somebody from Knight Rider, that's pretty impressive. 
Does that get what? Oh gosh, what were those jackets? Now I'm totally spacing on the the, the name. The members only jacket or members whatever. only, yes. <laughs> but um, you know, you were mentioning Belle Cher and uh, the other celebrity cosplayers. So the um, there's going to be a panel about how to handle bullying and harassment issues and things like that. So if you've never cosplayed before, I always recommend to people testing the waters at a show like this where you're going to be surrounded by friends easily or you will make friends in five minutes when you walk in the door. Um, and like I said, there's going to be opportunity then for you to, to ask for help or to ask for advice, even if it's just like, oh, well, where's a good website? Like I always tell people about the superhero costuming forum. Go to that. Or if you're into Batman, go check out Brotherhood of the Bat or the Replica Prop Forum. So um, if you've never cosplayed outside of Halloween, then this is the perfect kind of show to, you know, start dabbling. Yes, it really is. Um, like, it, everybody out here is so friendly. It's a smaller show. It's more intimate. So you, you really do get a chance to talk to other fans, uh, talk to the guests, talk to the creators. Uh, that's something that, you know, some of the bigger shows, you kind of lack on that because there's just so many people and there's so much that you can get overwhelmed. So yes, if you're starting out, this is a great show. If you're a family and you don't know what to expect, this is a great show. If you're a serious diehard collector, again, this is a great show by some of the vendors that we've brought out. Uh, Metropolis collectibles, for instance, uh, this is the first time they're setting up in New Jersey ever. Uh, these are the guys that bought the Action Comics number one for $3.4 million. So it, you're going to see books that you just don't get a chance to see anywhere else uh, and get to meet some creators that you just don't get to see anywhere else. And everything is low-key and fun. I mean, that's why we call it a festival or a festival. It's a little bit different than a straight-up con. Right. And it's um, it's, an, it's a lot of opportunities that, uh, you know, when you go to the really massive shows, you spend your time standing in line. Or you might miss somebody because they're at a panel by the time you finally make it over to the table. You know, and here they're going to be so much more accessible. Yes. Everybody will be so accessible here. And uh, that, that's one of the worst things uh, when you go to the bigger shows. You, you get in a huge line to go meet somebody, and you, you're three people away, and they go, yep, sorry, i got to go do an hour-and-a-half panel or something. And, you know, it it just doesn't happen at a show like this. That That's what's great about it. Yeah, I've hated that when I've been standing in line for a long time, and I'm like, okay, well, now i got to go because I, you know, I didn't even get up to the chance to meet the person, and it was just, and it, I mean, it's sort of, a, you know, can be a good thing, like, oh, well, they're taking a lot of time with each person, but, you know, everybody wants to keep to a schedule, <laughs> like, right. you know, even the people holding tickets, so um this would be a, such an easier chance to meet people, like I said, like Ethan Benskyver and, um, you know, you meet Amy Chu and Erica Schultz and, you know, talk to them all about their new projects and everything. And, um, but you mentioned the, the Metropolis operation that's going to have these 
amazing, valuable collections. Um, this is something I have only ever seen in Baltimore at the Jeffy Museum. <laughs> so I'm so I'm really excited because I didn't even know that there was something else close by. <laughs> yes. Well, Metropolis Collectibles is out of New York City, um, and they probably have the actually not probably they do have the largest collection of CGC graded comics in the world and the most valuable um, they do set up at the larger shows like Wizard Chicago San Diego New York but they never come into shows like Garden State so this is a real treat to have them and uh, we, we really lucked out by getting them. But, of course, we were able to pull a couple strings, uh, considering my business partner, Sal Zorzolo. Uh, his brother, Vincent Zorzolo, is the CLO of Metropolis. So, yes, we were able to, uh, you know, use a little family connection. But it, it's it's all the more for the fans to be able to see something like this. Right. The last time I got to see um, anything like, well, the only time I ever got to see anything like that in New Jersey was when the Montclair Museum had an exhibition of comic book art, and that was actually, like, the only time I've seen Greg Hildebrandt out. Um, but, like, Michael Usan was there, and um, I think John Cassidy was there. Like, all these people. Like, it was just, like, Alex Ross might have, I mean, no, that was a different show. That was the, Metro, the Metropolitan but at Montclair, it was like all of these people, like you're saying, that were from New Jersey, like Walt Simonson and Greg Hildebrandt, like they're just from here. And so the Montclair Museum had a display, um, like it was just amazing because it was a lot of original art. And then like you're talking about the collections of things that were handed down or purchased at auction. and um, But they even broke it up into like what was like you know meaningful displays like you know native americans and how they were portrayed and and things like that cuz um obviously you know all over america there would be native american culture but new jersey had its own very specific population so it was kind of cool that that people see comics and can tie these things together and approach the cultural issues in you know in its own art form Oh, definitely. And uh, if you were at the Montclair, do you remember the mural that Greg Hildebrandt painted that was on display there? Oh, yeah. They were five feet by 24 feet long. Yeah, I think they took like big like pictures of it. Like only like there was, um, I forget, there was like five or six people that like had their big formal picture by this. Yeah, it was uh, Superman, uh, DC and Marvel. It was the largest painting Greg ever did, uh, being, you know, four and a half feet wide by, I think it was 24 feet long. And he painted that exclusively for that museum show. And DC came to them and said they did not want their characters in a painting with Marvel. So Greg actually ended up having to cut the painting in half. And that's how it was displayed in Montclair. And I am happy to say that painting for the first time since the Montclair Art Museum 
will be on display at Garden State Comic Fest. See, so will they will they be allowed to be side by side at least? They will be side by side. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I mean, I mean, we actually do that in cosplay a lot. Um, we'll get the DC and Marvel cosplayers and like do a big like you know like what would be a wraparound cover you know battle scene and stuff. So. Um, yeah, so it'll it'll be fun. It'll be I, like so. It'll will it be in a sort of place where people can pose in front of it, or is it going to be like just um, you know something they can sort of see from behind a twenty foot velvet rope? <laughs> Actually, it is going to be hung uh, from the back wall in the arena, underneath the American flag. So it will be about fifteen feet off the ground. I, I will say that. Uh, only because it actually is a $90,000 painting. So we had to make sure it was in a place where it would be kept safe. Yeah. And so this brings up my next couple of questions that um, I also saw that, like the Metropolis, you uh, have the CGC folks coming. So what do they do when they are at a show? So who is that, CGC? Yeah. Well, CGC is a grading company, and what they do is you can bring in your books from outside or even books that you buy at a show, and you bring them to the CGC booth, and they grade them for you. Uh, they take them with you, and, uh, you know, you get the book back. It's encased in plastic, and it has a grade, so it really does increase the value of comic books. The other great thing that CGC does is they bring a signature series rep with them as well. So when you're at the show, if you go to get any autographs, if you get to any of your comics autographs, a CGC rep will witness that for you, bring it back to their booth, again in case it and grade it, but they will verify that the signature is real. So... That's what CGC basically does for the industry, and uh, they probably are the leaders in the industry for this. Okay, because I know I've seen um, they, you know, they go in uh, like special cases and, and stuff to protect the comics, and they have the, the grading number across the top. But um, at, I'm not sure if it was just certain shows where I saw them, but they weren't doing things like right there. Like they were, you'd have to like give the stuff to them, and they were taking them back to their Oh, office. yes. Uh, no matter what show you go to, they do not do the grading on site. They they take your comic, and uh, it's usually when you forget about your comic, that you forget that you even bought it, that's usually when it ends up showing up on your doorstep. <laughs> it could be six to eight months later. But it is a great way to, uh, you know, encase and, and keep a comic forever in these uh, hard plastics. I, I absolutely uh, go by CGC all the time. I have quite a few CGC books. Okay. And um, other shows, they try to discourage people from bringing, like, an entire, like, hand truck filled with white boxes for people to autograph. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, I know that at this, you know, arena, it's probably going to be a little bit more spacious, but what sort of guidelines do you have and what what people attending the show should be doing? Well, 
when it comes to autographs, um, you have to remember, these creators, they love their fans. And they love to meet people. They love to talk to people. Uh, they, they really do. Um, they are people persons. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know how to explain that better. But you bring one comic, you bring five comics, they're great. When you start showing up with 300 comics, that's when there could be a problem. And it, it's not only for the uh, creator itself, but for other people that are trying to speak to the creator. So we, we try to tell people to limit it to, you know, five to ten comics. And some creators even, you know, they, they put a limit on it themselves. Uh, everyone at our show signs for free, except for Neil Adams, I believe. But he is Neil Adams, and he is worth every penny to get a signature. But everybody else is free, but sometimes they do put a limit on uh, how many signatures they will sign for a person. And um, you had also mentioned, you know, about the $90,000 painting and the multi-million dollar copies of comics. So um, what kind of security will there be? Because, I mean, you know, on a very small scale, attendees often worry about, you know, any kind of harassment issue, or I know when they're tabling, I've unfortunately heard too many cases of things being swiped off tables. So, um, you know, what is the security going to be? Yes. Uh, larger shows, you, you do run into that problem. Uh, people are on top of each other. Uh, things go missing. Uh, it, it does create a problem in the industry. So we've taken it upon ourselves to make sure there was plenty of security for both our vendors and our fans. Uh, we will have four uniformed police officers on site at all hours during the convention. Uh, they will be both inside and outside. We have, I believe it's six or seven police officers that will be setting up in the show. And you guys will not know who they are, but they will be there as well. And there are over 13 security cameras facing down on the arena floor. So if, you know, for people that want to have a great safe time and be secure and not worry about anything, this is great. For anybody that's thinking about maybe doing something they shouldn't be doing, this really may not be the place for you <laughs> because we're going to have more security in there than a bank. That's right. And, you know, plus those Star Wars guys can uh, absolutely take somebody down. Oh, yes. It, it's great. One of the actual um, guys that I know from the 501st is a one of the Jersey Shore area towns. Uh, he's actually a cop for, for down there. And it's just so funny because somebody was doing these really formal police portrait pictures of him. And I'm looking, like, I had no idea that he was a cop. <laughs> and I'm looking and I'm like, wait, is that? No. <laughs> it's like, you're just used to seeing the, the stormtrooper armor. And I, you know, half the time, it took me like years to even get to know who people were because of the, the masks and everything. I, I've honestly, I, I'm friends with some of the 501st. I don't even know what they look like. Um, I know them by their suit of armor. 
just from different details on their suit of armor. And uh, I run into them. I talk to them at different shows. And I have no clue who they actually are or what they look like underneath that suit of armor. But I always know the same stormtrooper when I see them. So it's it's amazing. And when it comes to police officers, you got to remember, police officers are comic fans too. Uh, they like to nerd out just like everybody else sometimes. So they, uh, yeah, they're, they're, there's a a very heavy uh, law enforcement presence at some of these shows. And uh, we're, we're excited about that because it's a way to keep everybody safe and to make sure that the show is fun for everybody. Uh, the last thing you need is, you know, a theft or a, a fight or not that you see many fights at comic book conventions, but you, you want to make sure these things don't happen. Uh New York Comic Con, for instance, uh, they're very big now on the sexual harassment policies, which Garden State has also uh, put into effect. So, uh, as I've told some people, you, you really don't want to see what our phantom zone is <laughs> if you do right. something wrong. Right. And, you know, and it, it does seem like the the cosplay community does really like to take care of its own when they, you know, when they can. So, um, but if you are interested, if you, you know, like I said, if you're maybe new to costuming and you are interested in being part of a group, like you didn't even, you know, maybe if you didn't know that these things were official and like that, that they actually had big clubs like this, um, I believe they will actually have tables at the, the comic fest. So you can ask them. You can ask them about their different regions because um, there are so many people in the Star Wars groups that they actually can be broken up like by chapter. So when they do their charity work, um, you actually, you know, sort of get like assigned to whatever the local region's uh, stormtroopers are thing. Oh, they're broken up not only by region. They're broken up all over the world, some of these groups, uh, the chapters. Uh, it, these groups are just so huge and so amazing. I, I sometimes wonder what it would be like to see all the 501st in one area at one time. I mean, that, that would just be amazing. Uh, other groups, uh, some of our, you know, professional cosplayers even belong to these groups. Uh, DC Comics East, uh, Marvel's uh, cosplay group, whether you're DC or Marvel, they both... Uh, show up, the fans show up, and they have uh, clubs and groups for people to join as well. And uh, they always try to do a group photo at these shows, and uh, sometimes they even do the uh, DC versus Marvel type photo, which is very interesting to see. So, yes, if you're new, this is, this is a great place to meet, you know, people that are have the same interests, and, you know, you can walk away making uh, a couple friends for life at these type shows. Right. And like I said, one of the things that's really important to them is the charity work that they do. And they always come down to Comic Fusion uh, for our big charity weekend, which is in October, the first weekend of October. So um, we always have one day where there's definitely going to be a Star Wars presence, and then usually the second day we all do superheroes or something. So, um you know, but you can do whatever you want. We usually have we have a, a couple of Doctor Who people, so um, you know that's the great 
thing about costuming is just like comics, there's literally every single genre possible. A lot of people sort of get hung up and thinking it's all like capes and tights, and it's not. Like all of these things have been shown in comics, and you know, Star Wars is now um, part of Disney, so they're with Marvel now, and um, you know, that comic book like ridiculously hugely successful when that number one issue hit. Yes. Uh, and that's uh, talking about Comic Fusion, uh, your charity event that you host every year down there. That's just wonderful. I got to go down to that last year and actually uh, took home uh, a couple of the uh, silent art uh, charity pieces that were on the walls. And uh, that's a great thing for everybody to go see in October. And uh, we, we actually put together our own charity art auction at Garden State. And I'll be honest, Amber, it was based on what I saw down at Comic Fusion uh, for Superheroes for Hospice and a local animal charity. That's what we're raising money for. And the artists have been very nice to help us uh, with some original artwork to uh, put up for the auction. So, you know, Garden State, we're we're very big on helping the community, and the community is very excited up here to have us be part of it, because obviously when a show like this comes to town, it not only helps, you know, comics, but there's a whole other world that a lot of fans don't even realize, that it helps local restaurants, it helps hotels, it, it, it really helps infuse uh, the entire area. Uh, San Diego, for instance, the size of it is, uh, they actually, the people of San Diego said San Diego Comic-Con is more important to them than the Chargers, their football team, in a poll. So uh, it just goes to show what a show like this, that if it's done right and if it's, you know, a good show, which we like to think we are, uh, really does help out the community as well. And part of uh, what you had mentioned in there was Superheroes for Hospice, and that's run by Spiro Ballast, who's amazing. And a lot of people um, will ask me what I do when I'm cleaning out my closets, and I'm, you know, it's it's very, very hard to get rid of your comic books. I know it's hard. Once a year, I go through my white boxes, and I I just pull them together, and I say, okay, which ones can I let go of this time? And I you know, drop Spiro a line, and he takes the comics from me, and that way um, it's a, a tax um, write-off, by the way. Um, yes, you, so um, Spiro will then, like, take the books, and he sells them for the hospice at um, St. Barnabas. Yes. And um, so over the years, he he started this back in, I think, around 2009 or something. So I remember thinking, gosh, I know he's made, like, a lot. And he's been extraordinarily successful in this. And people from all over have, you know, heard of superheroes for hospice now. And I double-checked. And, like, as of months ago, he had already reached $100,000. Yes, he has. And, and so, that's by selling dollar comics. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's what it is. And it's just folks cleaning out 
their stash or if you inherit them, a lot of times people don't know what to do with them. They, you know, they find them in the attic, whatever. It's, you know, like any condition and he has volunteers who go through and sort them into boxes and make sure that they're filed and things like that. So, you know, like my stuff that I'm giving him, I have everything from like Green Hornet and Vampirella, you know, to some things that I like, I never thought I'd, I'd want to get rid of. But, um, you know, it's just, it's part of letting go and it's part of giving giving back because it's a good thing. It's for charity. But then they're also going to go to new readers. Yes. You know? And I think that's part of what, you know, the comics community has that maybe really other communities don't have, you know, is that we, we share. We get to pass on that stuff either from generation to generation or just to each other, like, hey, check this out. We, we really do. Um, the, the comic community re- really is, a, I guess you could say, a, a family-based model, the, the way everybody gets along with everybody. Uh, where else can you put 150,000 people in a room together and not see really any fights break out? I mean, it just doesn't happen. But in the comic community, it does, because everybody's there for the same reason, and everybody's there to have a great time. So it's something amazing to see at these shows. Um, at the same time with Spiro, I mean, superheroes for hospice, hospice care. I mean, if you haven't had somebody in hospice at some point, uh, you probably will in your family or your friend's family at some point. And it is such a a wonderful charity to be a part of because, uh, myself included, I've had an uncle in hospice this time around. We actually, uh, are putting together a jam piece to auction off for them that Walter Simonson added to it, George Perez added to it, Jimmy Chung added to it, Jim Steranko added to it, which he doesn't even sketch anymore. Uh, And Greg Hildebrandt, who is really a painter, even wanted to be a part of it. And... Right now, I believe he is adding Black uh, Black Widow to the uh, Avengers Jam piece that we're doing to raffle off at the show. That's yeah, and it's interesting. Like you said, I I've worked with so many painters, and they're not known for sketching. Like their sketches are, you know, on their canvas is usually a couple of guidelines, and yeah. everything else comes out with the paint and the color. So. Um, it's usually a pretty rare thing to, you know, to ever see any kind of sketch. Yes. Uh, And uh, to have these legends on a piece like this to auction off, it's just amazing. And I'm glad that, you know, this is actually a piece I've been working on personally for over two years. And I'm happy to see that it's going towards uh, Spiro and Superheroes for Hostess when it'll finally be completed. Hopefully in time for the show. That's awesome. Well, one last thing, though, is, um, you know, we're talking about how things come together and how there's uh, literally everything that you could imagine could be in comics. You have a very unique panel that I I don't believe I've ever seen done anywhere else where you have uh, people from the local radio station talking about music. (laughs) And 
and how on earth this could tie into comics and yeah. fandom. Well, if you think about it, uh, go back in uh, time, uh, even as children, you know the Spider-Man song. You know the original Batman song. M- music and comics have always fit together from cartoons to the movies. Uh, the Avengers is known for, and Iron Man is known for the ACDC they bring in uh, in those movies. So we actually got together with the radio station, and we wanted to get uh, WDHA, who is our main sponsor, and had been doing a wonderful job for us, uh, more involved in the show, not only with a booth that they will be handing out concert tickets and all kinds of cool stuff, but we wanted to see if they would be interested in doing a panel of how music affects comics. And Kim Mulligan, who is the morning host DJ and is a huge comic fan, uh, jumped at it. She thought it was one of the most interesting ideas ever. So, And since we've posted it, we've actually had some of the artists that are going to be at the show uh, contact us and say, I want to be part of this as well. So uh, it really seems to be taking off. And... Like you said, this is a panel that we don't know what to expect because nobody's ever done it before. Right. So it could definitely be uh, some testing ground and, you know, play. then the next time if there's things that, you know, you can bring to the table differently, then, then that could be done. But I absolutely admit I had the X-Men cartoon theme song as my ringtone for like two years. And, you know, it's like terrible MIDI music. (laughs) Actually, it's going in my head right now. (laughs) See, now, earworm, you're welcome. Yes. Uh, I mean, but really, when you think about it, how the arts does sort of combine, uh, you know, KISS has had uh, comic books, and now there was like even KISS with Archie. There's the Ramones with Archie and um, Gerard Way from My Chemical Romance actually was an artist before he was ever a singer. So, um, you know, he does the Umbrella Academy and uh, yeah. you know, these are just loves that cross over because they're they're artsy-fartsy and that's what we like. Oh, definitely. Uh, music is an art. And uh, take uh, Daryl McDaniels, for instance, uh, of Run DMC. He has his own comic now as well. Um, and again, he's another New Jersey native. Unfortunately, he will not be coming to our show because he is touring, but uh, music and comics, uh, it really has had uh, quite a crossover in its career. And uh, so we're going to see what we get with this. And uh, if it's great, yes, it was my idea. If it's bad, well, we can blame Sal. Yeah, that's right. Definitely. There's a lot of comics that are about music, you know, like a phonogram. Um, Red Stylo Media is working on one called 27 about uh, the curse of the age 27. Um, uh, My friend Brad Abraham uh, does one called Mixtape, you know, so it's it's, it's just it's mentioned like so much like you might not even realize it. And you have to obviously be careful with copyrights and things. But um 
But then there's other times when, when those musicians themselves, as we mentioned, come on board and get involved. Like, you know, Kiss, they, you know, they were, I, I, I think Gene Simmons didn't even, like, help write them or something, or he just, like, threw his name on the book at least. I don't know. But not only did they, uh, they had their input in writing them, uh, I believe Paul Stanley may have even had some of the artwork done as he actually is a painter. Um, they also, uh, which was a little creepy at the time, but they all cut themselves and added their own blood to the red ink that was used in the book. Oh, yeah, I remember that that yeah. urban legend. I didn't know if that was true. Uh, it is true, as uh, Gene Simmons just did an interview at San Diego about it. <laughs> well, there you have it. That's wonderful. So there are definitely a lot of very cool things. Um, how many tickets are you expecting? Because I know that you have um, a certain amount of pre-sold already, which, I mean, the ticket prices are already low. So the pre-sales are even discounted. Yeah, the, the pre-sales are uh, – the price for these are, you know, our, our show right now, uh, we're more interested in just getting our product out there to show fans what it is. Uh, we're not into it for – money purposes at this point let's put it that way we just want to show that this is a great show and you really want to be a part of it uh our single day tickets are 15 dollars for saturday 13 dollars for sunday uh that's a a ticket to spend an entire day somewhere for less than it costs to go over the Arizona bridge is just amazing uh, at the door, the tickets will be $20, so they go up $5 at the door. Um, and our VIP tickets are 65 which actually get you a Greg Hildebrandt print and a whole bunch of other cool stuff, plus early admission. So if you're an art collector or you like those commission lists, that's the uh, important key there. And our two-day tickets are 25 pre-sale which, again, is just, you know, you're getting two full days for the price that some shows charge you for one. Yeah, that's amazing. And um, kids who are coming with an adult, if they're uh, under 10, are free. So. Yes. Um, and as we said, there's definitely going to be kids' activities. Um, you have uh, the tent and staging area, though, for some of those activities. So that's one of the reasons we're really hoping for a perfect day just like today. <laughs> um, so it's also uh, if something happens and we need to move everybody inside, that's going to be all right, correct? If something happens and everything has to be moved inside, it can be done. I really don't want to think about it right now. <laughs> and I'm just thinking good thoughts for great weather. Uh, the reason we used the tent in the back was because other shows I've seen where you have a really interesting panel or the cosplay contest or something like that, everybody wants to see it. Everybody wants to be a part of it, where some shows, the, the rooms just can't handle it. So people get locked out where by putting up a tent outside and being able to host something like this outside, it will be open for everybody to be able to see, which we thought was, you know, very important. Um, but if the weather does not cooperate, yes, 
we will be able to, we were able to do the scheduling, which actually took about two days to figure out of how to get it inside if there is a problem. So there is a plan B. Right. Absolutely. Just like planning a wedding. I remember talking to you about, you know, how much like planning a wedding for a few thousand people. (laughs) It's exactly what it is. It's, People magazine, are you? You know, people magazine. Over and over and over and over. (laughs) So it's uh, it it is interesting. Uh, And behind the scenes, people don't realize what actually goes into pull off a show like this, where you got to deal with county government, you got to deal with the venues, you got to deal with the artists, you got to deal with the vendors. You got to deal with rental companies, insurance companies, the police, the fire marshal, everything that has to go just perfect for that weekend to pull off right has to be done. And uh, people don't realize what it is behind the scenes. I'm actually good friends with it, some of the artists. And I'll admit, at this point, this stage, with it coming up only a week away, Yes, things start getting a little crazy, and uh, you you go to vent. And yesterday, I was hanging out with one of my friends, and he goes, "My God, I never looked at it from that point of view." Huh? Okay, I have a lot more respect for the promoters because nobody sees what actually goes on behind, which is uh, pretty amazing in itself. Right. And that's, you know, it's one of the reasons that I have made an effort to talk to a few organizers, you know, over the, you know, usually try to get like two a year. Um, I usually talk to Jeff Mack, who does the steampunk shows. And, you know, this is my first uh, comic organizing chat of the year. So, yeah, so it's. It is it's so much work because all I do, I do, you know, I help Stacy out with a really small fundraiser and I see her starting to like lose her hair, as, right. <laughs> you know, as it gets to between like August and October, it's nothing but like stress ball, Stacy. So, um, you know, I can't even imagine. Oh, it, it, it honestly, it takes an entire year to plan out two days. Yeah, and that's and, with uh, you know a, a staff of four or five, so you could just imagine what it takes to put together a San Diego or a New York. So then, um, you know, again, we're hoping that this year is a you know huge success because you've gone to two days. There, since it is two days, if you're you know people are listening and you're traveling to the area, the hotel rates that have been negotiated are unbelievable. There's a couple of them. <laughs> than $100. They are absolutely unbelievable. We and have a four-and-a-half-star Marriott for 104 We have a Hyatt House, which is a four-star hotel, all suites, uh, at 99 And we had the Candlewood Suites, which is all luxurious suites, again, for $76. That's what I was, or we were able to negotiate with these hotels, which is just absolutely amazing. It's unbelievable. And there's so much to do here. So even if for whatever reason you say, well, I don't want to do a Comic-Con for two days in a row, you know, 
come get the rate, come to the show one day, and then whatever. If you want to go do something else the different the Sunday, there's tons to do. So well, go hang out with George Washington. Absolutely. Yeah, you can go take pictures, you know, in the park. Um, but you know, it sounds like with the panel schedule that there definitely will be, you know, things to do. So, um, you know, don't discount Sundays as like some kind of wasteful day. Um, oh, it, just... it definitely isn't. Uh, and Sunday also is our cosplay contest, which to some places this is like the most important part of a show. Um, this is how we are ending our festivities. And our grand prize for best in show is $200 cash, two three-day New York Comic-Con tickets, and two VIP passes to our next show. Right. And, I mean, the New York Comic-Con passes are, you can't even get them. So, So winning this contest is a really big deal. Yes. And just so you know, if you do win those New York Comic-Con passes, once we get them, you'll get them. Because <laughs> <laughs> nobody gets them this early. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's, it is. They're tough. They're really tough to get. So um, people tell people where they can find out all of the details. Because, I mean, we've sort of like, we've covered all of the basics. But there's obviously like more guests and vendors that we haven't even talked about. So, uh, you know, run down your list of uh, media for, for people. All right, yeah, and you're absolutely right. It would take a lot longer to go over every single guest and every single vendor that's going to be here. Uh, that's how packed in we, we made this with such amazing things. So where you can find us is GardenStateComicFest.com. Uh, that is our website. It has all the information on it. We are also on Facebook at Garden State Comic Fest. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at GS Comic Fest. Well, thank you so much for all of this time. And I know that you were already running around like a madman today. So thank you for being here. Oh, not a problem. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to do this. And uh, I'm honored to even be on here with you. All right, Dave. Well, I will see you in a few days when I'm there. Um, Kate will be joining me, so um, I'm not sure what she's wearing. Um, I have an idea of what I'm wearing, though. Oh, great. So, yeah. So uh, definitely look for us there. Um, and you guys can, of course, follow me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber. Everything else is at AmberUnmasked.com. And please go sponsor us at Patreon.com slash AmberUnmasked. Thanks for listening, everybody. 